It's good to be back with you this morning. It's good to be back in this pulpit after a couple weeks of other men uh, being here, uh, having the privilege of proclaiming God's truth to you. Special thanks to Pastor Ed last week for filling in while my family and I uh, were on vacation. This morning we return uh, to the book of Proverbs. And so if you have your Bibles, um, I'm not going to encourage you to turn to Proverbs, uh, but I'm going to encourage you to get out the insert uh, that's in your bulletin. And that's not because I don't want you to use your Bibles. It's simply because uh, this series has been uh, somewhat of a topical series where we have been jumping around uh, looking at various topics in this book. And it's easier if they're all grouped together as they are and we don't spend a lot of time flipping through uh, our Bibles trying to find all of these addresses. This is our fifth week in our summer study of the book of Proverbs. We uh, have been thinking about what a life lived in the fear of the Lord ought to look like. This has, and it will continue to be, at least I hope, a, a very practical study for us. And what I mean by that is just, it's very easy to take the truth that we have talked about and to bring it into our lives. We've talked about speaking wisely, about using our words to build others up rather than tear them down. We've talked about guarding ourselves against gossip, which is so prevalent in our society, and aiming our words effectively. Well, this morning I want to teach and to preach to you about another incredibly real and practical subject, one that relates to all of us and that one yet I don't think we all have probably thought about much in relationship to the Bible, in relationship to the Scripture, and that is friendship. The wisdom of friendship. And so if you would, grab your inserts with me and follow along as I read. I'm just going to read all of these Proverbs one after the other without reference. Listen as I read, this is God's holy word. Whoever covers an offense seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates close friends. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Oil and perfume make the heart glad, and the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. Do not forsake your friend and your father's friend, and do not go to your brother's house in the day of your day. Better is a neighbor who is near than a brother who is far away. Iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. I do know that that wasn't the doxology. That's coming later. I was just getting you guys excited for it. I want to start this morning uh, on the subject of friendship with a couple of uh, questions for you to consider real briefly. Uh, One, I want to ask... And there's particularly some of you in this congregation that I would like to ask this specifically, because I want to see your face when I ask you, who is your BFF? Because I want to follow that up with, do you even 
know what a BFF is? Do you care what a BFF is? Or I want to ask some of you, how many Facebook friends do you have? Have you, have you reached the century mark? A hundred Facebook friends? Impressive. Two hundred Facebook friends? Some of you, see I knew some of you are looking at me like, what are you talking about? Facebook, I don't even know what that is. Well, it's fine that you don't know what Facebook is. You probably shouldn't know what Facebook is in some respects. But I bring those things up because those are common cultural things that we hear in our world. Common phrases. And they reflect the fact that we live in a world that seemingly exalts friendship while I think at the same time diminishes friendship. At least true friendship. We've talked before about the information age and the phenomenon that we live in uh, now is that you can have lots of friends without really having any friends at all. And I know that many of you know what I'm talking about. You know this to be true. And frankly, in our world, some people like it that way. For a host of of different reasons, most of them not good ones, some people in our world want anonymity. And some of you even here this morning are too content yourselves to be isolated and to be alone. The Bible reminds us this morning, God reminds us this morning that He doesn't like anonymity. That He didn't create us to be alone. He didn't make us for that. And that brings us to the first truth of really three truths that I want us to think about this morning. Kids, for those of you who are taking notes, three points this morning. And the first one is this. You and I were made for friendship. You and I were made for friendship. It's a simple truth. And maybe one that you don't see a need for me to press home, but I think I do need to remind us of this. See, we live in a world where we don't need friends. At least that's what we think. In fact, when you think about it, we need very few relationships in our day and age. I was thinking about the fact that my kids may never have the experience of of sitting at the desk of a travel agent and talk about traveling. Or they may never go to a bank and deal with a bank teller, a real live person. We actually have created systems in our world to help us avoid people. And avoid relationships. I just went out to lunch with one of you at your work. And we went to order lunch and we did not even need to talk to a cashier. We did everything on the touch screen. It was beautiful because we could just continue talking. But it's the fact of our world, and this isn't inherently a bad thing. I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but it's illustrative of an attitude in our culture. We think we don't need friends. We think we don't need each other. We think those things are optional. And we forget that we were made for friendship. 
begins all the way back before the creation of the world. In eternity past, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have dwelt in community, in loving relationship. And so when that God, that triune God, breathed life into man, two things became an immediate reality. First of all, God created man to be in fellowship with Him. With His Creator. God didn't need that relationship, but He wanted it. He desired it. He wanted, we could say, wanted to be friends with you. And as far as the friendships that we were made for, that's first and foremost. And we'll return to that in just a few moments. But the second reality when God breathed life into man is that God did not only make us for Himself, but He recognized the horizontal, the relational nature, the need that we have for one another. And so he pronounced, what did he say? It is not good that you are alone. Now we rightly apply those words given to Adam to Eve, to his companion, to his soulmate, his wife, to the relationship between a man and a woman. And I'm not saying that that that's not true. That is true. And yet I think the application goes much further than simply that one relationship. And the rest of the Scripture seems to say the same thing. Our culture overemphasizes, I think, romantic love to the detriment of friendship. But the book of Proverbs reminds us this morning that friendship is a necessity in our lives. It's what we were made for. And yes, you can find and you ought to find friendship in marriage. I'm not saying that. But when the book of Proverbs talks about friends, it's not primarily talking about the marriage relationship. Verses like Ecclesiastes 4, we've been reading through that book. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 and 10. I know some of you had this verse on your wedding day where the preacher writes, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift them up. That certainly applies to marriage, but boy, does it apply to brothers in the Lord. Does it apply to sisters in the Lord? As we continue to think about the Scriptures, let's think about the life of Jesus. Jesus modeled friendship when He was here on earth. Not only did He surround Himself with these twelve close guys, but then He had the three This intimate inner circle of Peter, James, and John with whom he went deeper. Jesus valued friendship. And then when he sent his disciples out as he was preparing to go back to heaven, how did he send them out? He said, two by two. You need each other. You need each other. I know what you're going to face. And you were made for relationship. You were made for community. You were made for friendship. And what about family, you say? What about family? Family's important, right? What about my wife and my husband and my children and my siblings? Yes, they are all important. 
But remember, all these Proverbs, all those Proverbs that I just read, they all were written in a culture that was much more family-centric than our culture was. And yet they say, even in a culture that values family, we need to value friendship because we were made for it. Remember Jesus' words in Mark? And it's told him that his mothers and his brothers are looking for him, and he says, these are my brothers. These are my sisters, those who do the will of God. That's the first simple point. You were made for friendship. Friendship is wise living. But there's a second thing. And the second thing is really the heart of the message. And it's the heart of the message of these Proverbs that are given to us this morning, primarily by Solomon. And it's this. Second truth, kids. Here we go. True friendships are God's instruments for change. True friendships are God's instruments for change. You adults, think about the way your life has developed. When you were a child, it was your family, of course. It was your family that gave shape and that gave definition to who you were, your values, your attitudes. But there came a time when the influence of your family began to diminish. And what began to rise to prominence? The power of friendships. That's why we as parents, as our kids grow into those teenage years, we want to know our kids' friends. We want to know what power is being wielded in, the fam- in our families. Because we recognize the influence that friendships have. And the book of Proverbs does the same thing. It recognized that true friendships are God's instruments for change. I've probably told you this before, but I would say that I was shaped not only by a positive influence through a godly family, and I know many of you know my family, or at least some of them, but I was also shaped by a negative influence from my neighborhood friends. And even more powerfully, I was profoundly shaped by the community of friends that was known and is still known as Village Presbyterian Church in Morristown, New Jersey. I didn't have any biological aunts and uncles in my town or even in my state, and so I actually called men and women in my congregation aunt and uncle. They were my friends. They were the shapers of my life. They were the ones who molded me. And to some degree, that is what God intends for His church. That is what God intends for us. As we recognize His purpose in our lives, as we are intentional about doing these things, we will benefit from His desires in this. You see, the world primarily thinks about friendship in regards to selfish gain. I think that's our natural propensity. But God has a bigger view of things. Paul Tripp, I know, uh, I love Paul Tripp, and I quote him a lot. He writes in one of his books, relationships are not primarily for our fulfillment. 
Relationships between sinners are messy, difficult, labor-intensive, and demanding, but in that they are designed to result in God's glory and in our good as He is worshipped and our hearts are changed. The book of Proverbs reminds us this morning that friendships are for our good. They are given to us to shape us, to sharpen us, to mold us, to form us. It's a familiar verse, but it's one that's so easy to ignore its message. Proverbs 27.17 As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. And that's not just true for men. It's true for women as well. There is a lot that we could explore in regards to friendship in the book of Proverbs. But I want to walk through some of those verses I read. I want to highlight just a few things in regards to a true friendship that ought to shape, that ought to change us. And I want to do that by looking at three examples of a friendship. What what a friendship consists of that brings about change. Three things under this second point. Commitment, counsel, and criticism. I've even made them C's for you. Commitment, counsel, and criticism. And as we walk through these things real briefly, I want want you to think about three questions in terms of applying this to your life, in terms of the rubber hitting the road. Three questions. One, do I have these types of friends? Two, am I this type of friend? And three, do we have this kind of a culture of relationship and friendship in this church. I think those are three very direct, pointed ways that we can think and apply the Bible's teaching to us. First, commitment. The commitment of a friend, simply put, is significant because friendship is chosen. Friendship is chosen. You can't choose your family relationships. And some of you... Every day, mourn that fact that you can't choose your family relationships. But you choose your friends. You choose your spouse. And other than our spouse, we normally don't vow friendship. And yet, Proverbs 17.17 says that a true friend loves at all times. A true friend will be constant in one's life. A true friend is a brother or a sister who is a gift of support in times of adversity, in times of need. We in Seattle, we know about bandwagon fans, don't we? But they're also fair-weather friends. And a fair-weather friend is really no friend at all. Because a true friend is committed. A true friend is constant. And that kind of language about friendship is conveyed to us elsewhere in the Bible when the Scriptures think of, and maybe you already had them in mind, the friendship of David and Jonathan. What a sweet friendship these two men formed. We read of them in 1 Samuel, as soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was known to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. 
then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. True friendship knows, and yet it loves. It knows weakness, and yet it refuses to use that weakness against the other. True friendship stays even when things aren't going well. Proverbs 27.10, we read it, Do not forsake your father's friend. Do not go to your brother's house in the day of calamity. Better is a neighbor who is near than a brother who is far away. What Solomon is saying here is that as he interchangeably uses the word friend and neighbor, there's no need to go far away to family if you've got a friend right there who is constant, who is committed. With friendships that are committed, with that kind of foundation, then real change can happen. And that brings us to the second C, commitment and counsel. I stand before you today and have for the last four years in large measure because of Jason and Julius. Two men in my life who know me and have known me for years and prodded me to do what I was slow to do. What I really, in some ways, didn't want to do. And yet, they saw what I couldn't see. They gave encouragement when I needed encouragement. We are foolish to think that we can live our lives on our own. The Proverbs speak more than once of the wisdom of many counselors. Proverbs 15.22, we didn't read it, but plans fail for lack of counsel but many, but with many advisors, they succeed. Friends are given to give counsel. And yet to give counsel, friends must know. And you must allow yourself to be known. Proverbs 27.9, Oil and perfume make the heart glad, and the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. Oil and perfume were precious things in the ancient world. And if you have this kind of friend, you know that that is a gift. That is a precious thing. Because a true friend wants to get inside of you. And wants to let you get inside of them. That takes commitment. That takes trust. But it's what we need. It's what we were made for. Commitment Counsel, and then finally, a true friend given for our change is a friend who criticizes. A friend who criticizes. Proverbs 27, 6. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profane are the kisses of an enemy. See, sometimes our friends need to wound us. The wounds here are wounds of love. The kisses are kisses of flattery, and one can't help but think of Judas and his kisses on the cheek of the Lord Jesus. How he revealed himself to not be a true friend. We need friends who are not afraid to speak the truth to us in love, even when it hurts even when a hard thing needs to be said. And as we 
open ourselves up to these kinds of friendships, we need to be humble enough to receive those wounds and to let them be bandaged up even by the same friend who gave them, quite possibly. True friendship is God's gift of change. Now before we move on, I know that this is hard. Finding this kind of friend, building these kinds of relationships is difficult. It can't be forced. It can't be created. And being this kind of friend is hard. It doesn't just happen in a snap of our fingers. It's hard because no sooner had God pronounced that it wasn't good for man to be alone and and given him relationships than the whole thing got turned upside down. And now we live in this world of, of relational dysfunction. But the message of the book of Proverbs and my message to you this morning, God's encouragement to you this morning, is that there is a need. There are men in this church, brothers, who need you. They need your friendship. They need you to know them. There are women in this church, sisters, that need you. It's hard, but there's hope. There's hope to cultivate these kinds of friendships. There's hope to build this kind of a culture at ascension. There's hope to benefit from one another as God intended us because of Jesus. And so this isn't a sermon simply about some good principles for friendships, for making friends. No. This is a sermon that's got to be about Jesus and about the grace that He gives. And that brings us to the last thing I want to talk about for just a moment. And it's this. Only the Gospel can create authentic friendship. Only the Gospel can create authentic friendship. A friend who is committed, a friend who criticizes, a friend who gives wise counsel, that's a high bar and it simply can't be done on our own. The last proverb that we haven't talked about is maybe the most profound of them all. Proverbs 18.24 A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. We've all been burned in this room by friendships. We've all been abandoned by others in our time of need. Maybe even our friends, our so-called friends, have used knowledge of us against us. You know what? As you think about that, so has Jesus. We've all been terrible friends ourselves. I know I've been a terrible friend at times. Given bad counsel or failed to speak up when I needed to speak up or failed to be committed. But as you think about your own failings, think about the fact that Jesus has never failed. When we read Proverbs 18.24, it's a proverb that speaks of Jesus. 
Jesus has declared to you who are His in Hebrews 13, I will never leave you or forsake you. And the good news this morning in the context of friendship is that there is one who is committed to you if you'll trust Him. He'll cling to you like no one has clung to you before. He will give you counsel through His Word. He will tell you those hard things that He needs to say because He loves you. And Jesus is the unrivaled friend that you were made for. And here's the thing. He calls you friend. John 15, verses 12 and following. This is my commandment, Jesus says, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lays down his life for his friends. You are my friends. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you. That is true friendship. The most amazing earthly friendship that you have experienced is only a pointer to Jesus. The One who never fails. And when we hold dear to that friendship, to that Gospel relationship, when our identity is all wound up in Jesus and who He is and what He thinks of us, then we are free. We are free to enter and do the messy work of relating to one another. There's a great book with a profound title that I love. Actually, I haven't read the whole book. I just like the title. Relationships, a mess worth making. I want you to leave this morning with a renewed sense that that is true. Because of the Gospel, because of Jesus who has sought you and pursued you and made you His friend, Because of the teaching of the book of Proverbs, relationships, friendships are indeed a mess worth making. It's hard. It's hard to let others in when you've been badly hurt and you're you're guarded. It's hard to stick around when your friends are being stupid and dense and you're exhausted from trying to give them counsel. But don't give up. Because God's purposes are found in friendship, in relationship. Lean into one another. Allow yourself to be leaned into. This is God's design. This is a life of wisdom. May God give us the grace. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for this wisdom from the book of Proverbs. There is much more that we could learn, much more that we could talk about in regards to our relationships in regards to the value of a friend. Father, I pray that these simple principles, these simple truths this morning might renew us a desire to not allow ourselves to be hidden, but to be intentional. To not allow ourselves to to sweep dysfunction from Uh, friendships that we have left behind, but maybe we need to, to return to those and seek reconciliation and to seek 
healing for the sake of Your name. Father, how I want us to be a church that knows one another and allows each other to be known. That takes time. It takes grace. It's got to be a work of Your Spirit. It's got to be done in the context of those who are captured by the beauty of the Gospel and the amazing grace and friendship that we have been given by the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I pray that Your will would be done in us for Your glory and for our good. This we pray in the name of Jesus, the One who gave Himself for us. Amen.